0: Previously on The Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. I think I know why Mark played this. We'll get to it here uh, in just a second. Pacers losers last night. Purdue winners. We'll dive into Purdue here uh, in short order. Reminder, coming up in about 50 minutes, 8.30 or so, Dustin DePirak will join us. We'll talk some Pacers with him. He's from the Indy Star. Now, they talked about that song, Mark, in the broadcast last night on the Pacers game. Did you mm-hmm. hear that or did you organically just play it? I had heard it. Okay. Uh, no, is Noah Eagle, who was on the call, right? Mm-hmm. With yep. uh, with Hummel last I, night. I mentioned think that's a the, great body listen, <laughs> by the way. The floor. Oh, I like it. No, I think Noah it's Noah Eagle and Robbie Hummel, I think, is a great duo. No, I think it's great. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I like Noah Eagle uh, a good amount, listening to him for the, you know, kind of the first time more this year, and Robbie Hummel, obviously, uh, is fantastic. I mentioned Purdue hitting the floor last night. You're, you're up 15, and your star players are making players, and that's why uh, they're, in my estimation, I don't care what the polls say, with UConn, the top team in the country. You've been teasing something for a day or two around here and I don't even know what it is okay so I have no idea which way you're going to go here there's a reason that Kevin Bowen believes in Purdue this year more than last year what's that reason
2: there's been moments throughout the season Andy that I've been watching Purdue and I'm thinking man this guy gives them just a different gear on both ends of the floor Um, then I'm sitting there inside of Assembly Hall, and you're always just curious, I feel like, in Purdue, Indiana, of, okay, how are guys going to react to these environments, particularly the road teams in those matchups? You know, That's why I was just so beyond impressed by what Jalen Huchofino did last year in Mackey. Like, to have that night inside of Mackey, and sure enough, I'm sitting there watching last Tuesday, and, you know, if we remember, I mean, that was kind of a back-and-forth game for the first, like, seven minutes, you know, and then all of a sudden it really got away from Indiana very quickly. But Lance Jones handles that environment beautifully, and it's no fear from him. Uh, Obviously, last night speaks for itself from him, but I think that is why I sit here, Andy, and in January 2024, I think, me personally, and I think Purdue fans should feel more optimistic about what they have for the month of March than they did last year, because as much as this grouping is so similar from last year, and you hope that Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer won't hit a freshman wall and won't kind of run out of gas, Lance Jones was the only real new acquisition, if you will, Purdue has had. And if you look back to last season, Andy, late in the year, the guys that were getting minutes for Purdue outside of kind of their big core, you played Ethan Morton. A lot. You played Brandon Newman a good amount. You were having to play David Jenkins a decent amount. And while those guys at times can certainly help you out, I mean, Hal Morton still gives you a couple defensive minutes here or there. Uh, none of them. Are, 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 I think, frankly, that close to what Lance Jones gives oh, you they're not. on no. both ends. No, they're Newman not. would have one out every four games. It'd be like, man, he should play more. Right. And then you'd be like, well, that's why he doesn't play more. Morton
0: lost a lot of minutes. I mean, that was a conversation we talked about. Morton was a ability sure. on the
2: offensive end of the floor too often. Jenkins probably, end of the year, the best out of all of them. But again, in Lance Jones, whether it is his energy, whether it's him as a ball handler, uh, I thought it was great that Mackie gave him a standing ovation late in the first half last night for his energy on the defensive end of the floor. He's fearless. I'm sure there are times where Matt Painter thinks, yeah, I, I don't know about that shot. But I think that is but such you need a little bit of that sometimes. jolt for yeah. Purdue. And the ball handle a- aspect I think is critical because you know Purdue is not this plotting team. They do not just want to get in the half court and throw it into e- e- It's not Jokic-type pace with Purdue. If they have opportunities to run... They want to run. And with Lance Jones, it's not just, hey, you have to find Braden Smith. He's the only guy that can lead the fast break. Lance Jones gives that for you. So um, they found a guy in the portal that can give it to you on both ends of the floor. He guards, he scores, and he can handle it a bit. And last year... At times, it was like, oh boy, really? Morton's getting that many minutes? Oh boy, Newman? Is it going to be good Newman or bad Newman? Uh, and then Jenkins again. Now you have a guy that I think uh, is much more consistent. Again, both ends of the floor for you. And I think is a critical piece to feeling better about Purdue when it comes to the month of March. Zach Eady is still Shaq. There's no questioning that. He's still Shaq. He's proven that in the Big Ten when you know teams should scout him more and teams should be used to him more. But they needed a little bit of juice and a little bit of energy, and Lance Jones has unquestionably given, given them that.
0: What's their downside? If I just flip that around, because last year that was the that was one of the downsides, and you mentioned the guards kind of hitting the wall. Not kind of hitting the wall, hitting a freshman wall, having young young guards going into the NCAA tournament. What's the thing we need to watch for Purdue? I think that's what I, that's probably what I'm struggling with. I mean, their defense is top twelve. They're number twelve right now in Ken Palm adjusted efficiency. Their offense is number one. <laughs> I mean, they're the most efficient offense right now per Kempom uh, in college basketball. Uh, And Jones is fantastic. I I think you need a little bit. Occasionally, he does a little bit of YOLO. But I I mean, I think you need that. I I really do. And then, you know, I was going to add just one thing to it. Watching a lot of college basketball, every year is different. We had Bob Kravitz on. When was it? A month ago? Three weeks ago? Whenever it was. We had Bob Kravitz on. And he was very strong in, and maybe even Greg Doyle mentioned this as well with us, that, but I know Bob did, that he just flat out said, hey, this is the year that Purdue's going to win the national championship. Okay, and that's fine. You can have that prediction when you're, you know, just starting Big Ten play, conference play, and everything like that. And you look at them right now, Purdue, you know, having watched a lot of college basketball this year. I I don't. I I just think. I think once you get to like four, five, and six, I I don't think. I think Purdue's better than all those teams. I'll give you a great example. You kind of had fun with it, but Kentucky basketball. They added. We got to get to the Big Z controversy also at some point because uh, I love what Purdue did. Purdue trolled Kentucky basketball, and I love every bit of it. We'll dive into that. So Druna Ogaskis? Uh, I love it. Well, with Zach Eady, is he the Big Z oh, or is uh, the it. the new player there on Kentucky? But Kentucky went last night. And they lost. They got blown out. Kentucky went on the road and got absolutely hosed last night at South Carolina. And the reason I bring it up is I just don't see that's something that that Purdue would do. I mean, they lost a close game to Northwestern. I know they lost to Nebraska. That that I'll give them one game. But Kentucky can't win on the road, and I only bring them up. And I've seen a nice amount... I know a couple people on the staff there at North Carolina. I actually thought you could have put North Carolina at number one a couple weeks ago and you would have been fine. But Purdue this year, um, boy, I, I just I don't see the strength in college basketball quite as much. Yeah, how many teams do you put in tier one? I, I think in tier one, boy, I think I would have I think I would have probably UConn. Uh, and not probably. Uh, UConn, Purdue, and then that third team. I don't know who that it's third like team is. It's like Arizona Kansas have come back down to earth. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't love what I've seen from Kansas, Kentucky. I've seen you know I, I've seen Tennessee. Is it? I Carolina? know it was a couple I, weeks I ago. To me, it would be probably be Carolina, and you would put those three teams in there. And I, and I just say, boy, we talk about it lining up for Purdue. I know you can say that. I feel like this year it lines up a little bit more for Purdue, perhaps even the last year. That's how I feel. I could be caught up in the moment in the fact that they're winning a bunch of games and Zach Ease, Shaq, in the last four games, they've looked as good as they can look. And again, my thought isn't as
2: much having to do with what maybe the rest of college basketball looks like. I just think Lance Jones is such an important piece that Purdue was lacking last season. You were kind of a hope and a prayer when you put Morton out there for 25 minutes or Newman or Jenkins now Again, there's going to be a few YOLO moments to use the phrase that you just used with Lance Jones, but I think at times when you get into ruts or you need a little jolt, that's very important for you to have as well. And he can give that to you. To, I guess to answer your question, you know what could hinder them? You know, we saw big turnover numbers against Northwestern and Nebraska, so it's very important that obviously um, that is there. Uh, obviously, those are a couple of great shooting nights by Northwestern and Nebraska. You know, can teams do that? on a neutral site in the NCAA tournament. It's one thing to do it at home. It's another thing to do it in these neutral sites. And really, in the loss to St. Peter's or the loss to Fairleigh Dickinson, again, Purdue got games played in the 50s and 60s. They can't have that come tournament time. And I will say, and this maybe dates back to all the way back to, um, who did they play? Was it Arkansas in that exhibition game? For some reason, I was debating my head if it was Alabama or Arkansas. Remember I, they had that I, exhi- I, thought it was, I I thought it was Arkansas. Yeah. I think it's right. They had that exhibition game that was, you know, raising money for the Tornadoes, I believe it was, in Arkansas. And uh, Edie either – was he in foul trouble? I think he was in foul trouble in that game because they played a real, like, 40-minute game. And Arkansas had some big guards that I think, you know, again, caused some issues for Purdue, if it's one thing. They're very small in the backcourt. You know, it kind of goes back to the Indiana game of why I thought McKenzie and Baco could be a really tough matchup for Purdue. Ah, uh, because lineup-wise, there's a big height differential. So again, if you're going to ask me questions on what could, you know, hinder them, what could hurt them, I'd go there. But man, I just think I was skeptical. You know, when it was just Lance Jones out of the portal, and you're like, okay, it's Lance Jones and Miles Colvin. That's it. You know, that it doesn't really seem like a lot of. Ju- it's not like Lance Jones was this Missouri Valley player right. of the year, averaging you know 23 a game, and he was transferring up a level. He was not that. But man. When you talk about puzzle pieces together and finding ingredients that you don't necessarily have in the kitchen, Matt Painter looks like he has found an absolute gem for Purdue's makeup in Lance Jones on both ends of the floor, and that's why I feel better about Purdue here in late January. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot
0: year. of times when you have a loss, uh, and when your season ends in a crashing manner, and Purdue fans felt like that was going to be the case, don't you feel like hey, we need some change here? and Matt Painter is like I'm only going to give you a little bit of change. We're not going to change everything because of what happened uh simply in the NCAA tournament. I I got to be honest. You know with with some of these guys that transfer up in college basketball, I've been so conditioned to look at the high school classes. I mean, come on, you guys know, uh, the, the McDonald's All-American list was, <laughs> was I named. I Badunga making Yeah, there you go. I mean, you look at the, McDo- that used to be the thing, right? How many five stars do you have? How many four stars sure. do you have? And then so many of these guys that, and this is, this is the biggest problem. This is probably why like the offseason, you almost need to talk to someone who's well-adverse, and I, and I totally mean this, in mid-major basketball, because, I mean, I I You didn't know how good adulting connect was. He went to Tennessee. I mean, Indiana went after him. That dude's like 30 a clip, right? Lance Jones. You didn't see Lance Jones play basketball for four years. You had no idea what Lance Jones' makeup is. It's easy to read ESPN.com. Well, last year, he shot 37% from three, 42%, whatever it was. He averaged 12, 13 a game, and you get a guy like that. And, you and, and, and yes, yeah, sometimes they don't work out. Sometimes they're not ready for the bright lights out of Purdue or Indiana or Kentucky, UNC, whatever it may be. Um, but I, I think that is value. We're going to have to remember that as a show, and I mean that, is who is – Maybe rake straw is that to to some extent who has seen some of these guys at the mid-major level, because this is the, this is the way so many of, of coaches want to build their roster. And I've been so conditioned to know what the five star, what the four star can do. You know, there's not a lot of mid-major basketball being watched at a high level. There's just not, you just don't know who these guys are. Uh, are you with me
2: on Rick Carlisle got ejected because it was hundred Siakam last night? Because
0: it was Siakam, 100%. And they were playing, I mean, they they're playing poor, what, 19 points. Uh, but he that was, was so early in the third they, quarter. They were down three. They were down three when he got tossed. Yeah, I, I I don't know.
2: Maybe I need to go back and watch like the previous handful possessions prior to that. But I didn't think... It was at a point where, like, it had gotten so egregious. I was waiting for the Carlisle tech. You know, at times you can sense that. Oh, you know? sure. A team gets on a run. You haven't got a whistle in a while. Your fans are starting to yell. You can kind of sense the head coach technical. I, I hadn't had that feeling really lead no. into the Siakam play. And again, if you go back and watch it, Siakam does not really react like he should have gotten a foul call. He doesn't react on the offensive end of the floor as he gets stripped, and then on the other end of the floor you know once Denver hits a three it's not like or, yeah I think Denver hit a three it, it's not like he looks at the official right after that as well and then boy Carlisle I mean what 2.3 <laughs> seconds and he was ejected
0: he got his money's worth did he wonder what he said I, how does he watch the game I was wondering I uh, mean you know what? how, what's I, I, a tv setup in the locker room to where he's breaking the game down I jotted that <laughs> down for a question to ask him next Tuesday <laughs> That's how, a good question. how do
2: you think that'll go over
0: I mean he'll be almost a week separated from being tossed if they win some Is games here. Is that a good here, thing or a bad thing? Well, have you I, seen the schedule upcoming? I think it's a good thing, but I have seen the schedule and I think both I think the overall prevalent thought from you and I today has been while we understand the circumstances, no Tyrese Halliburton, the injuries they've went through, uh, getting a guy like Pascal Siakam, we understand the January schedule was always going to be difficult. Both of us, I, I won't speak for you. We talked about this 35 minutes ago. Um, both of us feel like that we're tired of having to do the qualifier of Halliburton's out or this guy's out. I mean, the reality is they've lost five out of six two more difficult games here Memphis is on Sunday and while they're not very good who knows if you're gonna have Halliburton that that you know right now we said they needed to start winning I, I guess this is probably the second time this season I'm a little bit worried KB I'm just a little bit worried. I mean, they got to get Halliburton back. They got to start winning some games. And I know it was a valiant effort last night, but it's still lost, and it's five out of six. And right now, you're a seven seed.
2: Yeah, I didn't think this season was about valiant efforts, and certainly not after the Siakam trade. And when you squander the opportunities like you did in November to have easier games, to have games at home, when you get into now the second half of the season with where the Pacers are and you look at the Eastern Conference standings, you just can't sit here and act like those are extremely beneficial. I fully understand. Times are a bit difficult right now for the Pacers. They don't have their lead guy. They're in kind of scramble mode with some of their lineups. Hell, last night they're turning into Ben Shepherd to play the entire fourth quarter. I mean, Ben Shepard had how many, you know, <laughs> fourth quarter minutes has Ben Shepherd played this season when the game's been within ten points? I would guess close to zero before last well, night. He didn't, play, he
0: didn't play until the fourth quarter, right? So, Did he play some in the third? Yeah. And, and he didn't then, play in the first half. I know that. You know,
2: Part of this maybe is Lloyd Pierce, who, again, I thought turning to Shepard was a smart move, but you know, I thought you could have gotten Buddy maybe back in the game. I know he was quiet, but, man, guys were just clanking threes there in the fourth quarter. I thought Siakam made several what you would quote-unquote say good basketball plays, the right decisions to throw it to guys wide open, and Turner and Neesmith especially – could not throw it in the ocean there in the fourth quarter. So the Pacers lose 114-109. We'll continue to touch on that. Went back to that Portland game on Friday night, the game that Tyrese Halliburton did play. I think I found the play where something happened. I know that the Pacers and Rick Carlisle don't want to call it a re-injury. To me, clearly something happened on this play, so we'll explain a little bit more on that and get in some football talk as well. Dustin out going to join us coming up. At for anybody uh, just getting into their cars or about to head out for the morning, a little foggy, very rainy, uh, but outside of that, not too bad here from a commute standpoint here on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for spending it with us.
1: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at K-I-S-Q-A-L-I and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It is the wake-up call of KB and Andy. <laughs>
0: I was wondering who is this, by the way. I have uh, no idea. Somebody is named this? Rhett and Link. I don't know. It's Rhett a cor- and Link. It's the Link. cornhole song. Okay, there we go. I don't know how that conversation <laughs> even got going, but uh, nonetheless, Kevin's it reevaluating did. his entire life. What a here by
2: Mark Dykton. I,
0: I Yeah, I wonder what uh, the. Let's see, uh, who who's coming up after us? Uh, Eddie Eddie will be in that seat. Like what? What did he search on YouTube for a rejoin? What exactly? You don't want to go down Mark down the Dykton hole on my doing there. Uh, Dustin Depierre joins Mark's us. Mark's search history not. Say well, work. yeah, no one's is. Let's go ahead and <laughs> list off our search history on the yeah. internet. Uh, Pay less liquor's hotline. Let's go on out to him. Um, Dustin DePirac joins us from the Indy Star following everything Pacers. Uh, Dustin, thanks for joining us this morning, waking up with us here on the wake-up call. Good morning. How are you?
3: Doing all right, man. Thanks for having me, guys. And I'm thoroughly entertained by that song, and I, I, I do want to know how Mark found that, but... Anyway. Okay.
2: Well, well can we ask Dustin? Kids. Yeah, go ahead and all ask right. Dustin. So, Dustin, when you know game point rolls around in Cornhole, you get close to 21. What happens if you go over 21 in Cornhole?
3: You go back. It, it all depends on like your particular board, how far you go back, but you go back.
2: You go back to the number you were at, so if you were at 19, you would go back to 19, or do you go back to 13? I, th-
3: I think that's right. I mean, I, I think – I'm trying to think. I feel like I've played all kinds of rules, and I'm terrible at Cornhole. So generally, somebody else gets to make the rules, and I just have to play by them. Um, So I'm rarely, like, you know, you kind of have to, like, win the table sort of thing. Mm. And so it's like whoever you're playing with generally makes the rules in that case. And I'm just, I'm usually not that guy. But I feel like it's been different. It's sort of the same thing as, like, playing 21 in basketball.
2: I'm picturing you back it's in like- your Bloomington days, we needed a cornhole board in the vid. You know, instead of playing pool or the darts, just get a cornhole board in the
3: vid. We didn't. We, we did I was good at pool with the vid, man. That was that was my heyday right there.
0: Oh, you're a hustler. I like that. Uh, Dustin yeah, DiPere joining us here. From time to time. Yeah. Oh, the mm-hmm. Payless anyway. Liquors Hotline. I like that. we little hustle uh, in Bloomington. Well, I, I guess let's start with the injury. We can get to the game last night, kind of losing streak, 5 of 6. Obviously, Philly coming up on Thursday. That's going to be a different, difficult one. Phoenix on Friday won't be any easier. What is your read of the Tyrese Halliburton stuff? Uh, we saw the injury. We saw him come back against Portland. He played well. He played what, like, thirty-five minutes. But also, there was some—dare I say—hobbling, some grimacing, some favoring, mm-hmm. if you will. So he doesn't play the next night in Phoenix. And then the Pacers announced Carlisle with us yesterday. It's not a reaggravation. It's not a re-injury. But we're going to keep him out three, at least three more games. I guess. What is your read of the situation of what went, uh, of what is you know, kind of went down here the last few days?
3: Yeah. I mean, I kind of, he, he's he been very um, adamant about saying it's not a re-injury. It's not a setback or anything like that. Uh, I kind of pressed him on that yesterday. It was interesting. He, uh, like uh, initially when he talked about it, when the injury came out, basically like the day after uh, the MRI, you know, we talked to him and he said, you know, you, you kind of want to nudge it along, but you don't want to uh, his, this was his phrasing. he said, you don't want to piss it off. And I, I brought it up to him yesterday. I'm like, well, did you guys piss it off? And he says, I don't think I ever said that. And I've, Went back and found the recording, and I promise you, he did. Um, it might be a hamstring or it might be Mother Nature, depending on how you know how he was referencing within that sentence. So there might be some you know, lack of clarity there. But the point was that it you know basically like if when you're training this thing, something can't go wrong. Hamstrings are tricky, uh, you know. From time to time, basically you you can put too much on it. You can feel like things are going well, and maybe they don't. Um, so he didn't really want to address that uh, all that much. So it's possible. Um, maybe to go so far, even likely on the logic here, that I got really excited about the results they were getting as far as how far this thing was coming along. You know, Tyrese Halliburton said, you know, like we, we, we tell everybody that we're reevaluating after two weeks. We're, we reevaluate every day. I've been working on this thing every day, so we talk about it every day how far along it's coming, and I feel really good about how far along it's coming. Uh, so, I mean, there's certainly a possibility that it wasn't as healed as they wanted it to be, uh, and getting it out there kind of you know, put that in sharp relief. There, there, there might have been something that just kind of went a little bit sideways, and I know he was a little bit hobbled coming out of there. So there's all kinds of possibilities that Rick's, Rick's sort of bottom line thing was, look, it just needs more time. At the end of the day, it needs more time to heal, and whatever, you know, we're not looking back at this. It's just a case of the way it is now is it is it is it needs more time. It's not ready, and you know he's not ready to play on it. So it's going to be three more games. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Number one, we'll see if, if there's you know once Tyrese talks again if he has a more sort of you know open uh, appraisal and explanation for that, which he might. Um, so, but I mean, I I guess it, I think it's totally reasonable to presume that they. You know, got excited about uh, the progress they made, and maybe it wasn't as far along as it needed to be. But again, I'm not a doctor, so I can't. Yeah, you know, I can only say so much there.
0: It's
2: Dustin Apirak for the Indianapolis Star. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dustin, you were out on that West Coast trip. I know hindsight is really 2020, but you know, watching the Portland game on Friday night, it, it, I felt like there was a moment or two where Halliburton was grimacing, wincing. However, yeah. you want to describe it, went back and found a play early fourth quarter yesterday. Um and tweeted out that that video. Did you get Indian in any indication post game Friday that there was something of concern, or it, it just seemed like all of a sudden we got to Sunday pregame and this kind of popped up yep. out of nowhere?
3: Yeah, he would not walk around that great. You know, he, he was a little bit uh, just you know a, a little bit stilted, but I, I didn't think that was necessarily guaranteeing he was going to be out, and I didn't even think that Sunday was necessarily a. Um, what am I trying to say here? Like, the, 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 you know, that that was going to lead to several more games like this. I mean, I, you know, and I, I was out in Tucson with them uh, for Benedict Mathurin's Ring of Honor, uh, you know, ceremony as well. A bunch of those guys went out to that. And he, it didn't. He didn't strike me as as hobbled, even as he was just coming out of the locker room. I thought maybe okay, it's just reacting a little bit tight or anything like that. So nothing. I mean, it stood out to me a little bit Friday night, less on Saturday. Um, but I, I mean, I, I guess I, there's not really a lot of reason to be surprised. Uh, you know, again, like you said, I mean, there, there were a couple plays in there where he's grimacing and stuff like that, and and you know, it just kind of stands to reason you come back from something like that, um, and you know, it, it doesn't take much for something to go sideways, so at least a little bit sideways to where it's it's not playable. I mean, you're you know, you're, you're just getting back to it. He got back to it earlier than presumed. Um, and so it's certainly possible that again, it felt like he was making a whole lot of progress on it, but it wasn't ready to be you know, tested or, or maybe on the flip side, it had to be tested. You know, they had to find out exactly how far along it was really and found out that it wasn't as far along as they hoped. So, um, it, you know, I don't know if it's a scenario where it's going to take a while for him to be healthy. You don't want to, uh, wait all that time. Um, you know, you don't want to spend 20 games with this guy on the shelf, uh, to wait until it's perfect. Um, so there's going to be a lot of, you know, I guess, evaluation, re-evaluation, deciding, okay, and, and tough decisions in terms of uh, when do you play the guy and when you not. Um, so I, I guess I, I was not blown away on Sunday that he wasn't ready.
2: One more on the Halliburton front for me. Again, Dustin DePirac with us here, covers the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. We appreciate him waking up with us after a late one last night. Um, I was hoping you could kind of educate us on what it means for Tyrese Halliburton to play 65 games. There is quite a significant contract contractual uh, benefit to him playing at least 65 games, which would then mean he's eligible for the all NBA team for our audience out there that is not familiar with this. Could you share?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a max contract versus a Super max contract. Basically, the way that the CBA works uh, is you're only eligible for the Super Max. Which I think is what 35% of the cap is, is what you're, they're allowed to pay you uh, if you and, and, but you're only eligible for that if you're all, either all NBA or, or I think it's defensive player of the year. Um, you can't even be all defensive team, you have to be player of the year. Um, so I think in order and and so they they made it now that you have to play 65 games to be all NBA. Um, you know, that's obviously a new thing this year. The sort of raft of uh, policy changes that they've come out with to kind of avoid um, you know load management and stuff like that. They've you know obviously certainly all the way up to the commissioner's office. They feel like this was kind of degrading the quality of play and angering a lot of people. So it's basically saying hey we're going to create these incentives and make them monetary to make sure you play play a whole bunch of games. Um, so I think. So, yeah, basically, if he doesn't get to 65, they can't be all NBA. And if he can't be all NBA, then he can't sort of. Um basically trigger that. Now, if he doesn't make All-NBA anyway, um, if, if he were to play 75 games or something along those lines, and he's still not voted as one of those 15 guys, and, and, and that's not, you know, I think he's in, in a in a pretty good place to be All-NBA, but it's not guaranteed, um, even if he does play all those games and he still doesn't get it, but it's just that's he has to be All-NBA to trigger, um, you know, it becoming a super max versus just a max contract. And that's, you know, just kind of the difference they've laid out in the CBA. Uh, so I think he can still you know, as I understand it, and you know, I I imagine someone can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think it, he, he could still unlock it next year or the year after or the year after. Right. he I think all five of these years that uh, if he's all NBA at any point it becomes Supermax. You know, that then then it unlocks all those incentives. Um, you know, or just basically the overall incentive of going from max to supermax, um, and then he's fine. So if he doesn't make it this year and he makes it next year, I mean obviously he loses some money next year, um, but he gets paid the year after that. Um so it's just he it it becomes a significantly cheaper contract over the life if he never makes All-NBA, but it's still well over $200 million. Yeah, we ta- do, cr- do not cry for Tyreek. <laughs> no, 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 no.
2: Yeah, yeah uh, I'm not. I, I'm not I asking the question just to you know whatever. Uh, yeah, giving yeah, flowers really, and I, everything. totally
3: fair. It, it is an important question, and you know you, you, you know like certainly he's going to want to get all of his 260 million, but uh, the I guess I think it's 215, if I'm not mistaken, or, or somewhere along those lines uh, is sort of what he gets if he never makes All NBA. And I promise, if he makes uh, 215 million over five years, he's going to be okay.
2: I think this I saw it's like a fifth. Yeah, depending on how much the cap goes up, about a $50 million difference. Could and then, that, yeah, mm-hmm. um, I, I want to say he's got. Four games left to play with this season, so just wanted to make sure that we clarified. Yeah, that, it's Dustin. gonna be
0: it's gonna be difficult for him to do it this year. I, I just think that hamstring, uh, it's just it's just gonna be difficult this year. But he'll have other years. Dustin Depierrek with us uh, follows the Pacers there for the star. Uh, Pascal Siakam, his, you know, three games under his belt here uh, in Indy. Saw his first game at Game Bridge last night. Sixteen and ten, got the double double. Had a chance to get seven or eight assists. Quite frankly, if the Pacers could would have made some threes. I guess on the flip side, he went about two quarters without making a shot last night as well. So kind of a complex uh, first game there in Indianapolis. What do you make of him as a player? And what did you make of his debut last night in Cambridge?
3: Just overall, I mean, I think overall he's just changing the equation pretty dramatically. Um, I mean, I think he obviously hasn't had... You're kind of a spectacular, knock-your-socks-off individual performance yet. Um, but what's standing out to me and, and what's really kind of standing out to me in terms of the conversations that, you know, the, I say conversations, but press conferences uh, that i have been having with Rick Carlisle is just how much just all of the dominoes fall around him um, and and how many things sort of change in terms of how they're able to operate uh, going forward. I mean, I think for one thing, he can just, he he is the very real second option that they've been waiting for. And, you know, obviously the the offense hasn't been operating at it, full capacity without Halliburton and, and certainly his role will look different and his what he does will look different uh, when he has that guy. I mean, Halliburton changes everything in terms of the pace they play at, in terms of just the, the openness of the floor, the amount of, you know, just gravity he creates and all those kinds of things. But, you know, you can see the kind of shots he makes that you're like, all right, that's the kind of shot a second, a section, second option makes. I mean, it's just these – Turnaround jumpers, he's just able to get to his mid range uh, shot and just sort of create his own. Like I mean there's you know, some guys, you know, you don't want them shooting unless they're gonna catch a shoot three or get in the rim. You know, Siakam is a guy that can pull up from wherever you want and hit that shot. And if he's in a post up situation, he can turn around from ten feet, fifteen feet. If someone's pushing him out, he can still make that shot. I mean, you're seeing a lot of the skill. You're seeing a six eight guy that can handle the ball, bring it up the floor, pass remarkably well. I mean, he could truly be he can be your point guard at six foot eight. Um, and that allows you to do a a lot of different things with lineups um, that really help them and I think defensively he's a good defender individually but more than that he just gives them answers that they haven't had all year and I think that's a, that's a major piece I mean they haven't given up uh, 120 to anybody they've played in three games with him and that doesn't sound all that great but when you consider what the league looks like it's a big deal and you know they're still leading the league in scoring. And so if they get Halliburton back and they're back to throwing out 125 at night um, and they're holding teams to 117, 118, they're going to win a bunch of games. Um, and so what, what he's able to do, first off, he defends the power forwards that they've been just dominated by, just... Frankly, just straight overwhelmed by. And Jeremy Grant still got him, but I mean, I think you we know, held Aaron Aaron Gordon to like nine points, but also he can switch on to guards, he could switch on to bigger guys. Um, but you can use the other guys. You know, nobody's at, the, at a massive disadvantage. I, mean, I think Aaron Neesman is a really good defender. And if you were to just look at okay, what are the guys he guarded score? Uh, he doesn't look like one because he's been taken on guys like Giannis and giving up six inches every night, and you know more than that in terms of weight and everything else. Um, you know, LeBron and and just guys like that have has Dominated him, but he has, you know, he's stood in the way of moving trains a lot of nights, and, and he's got a ton of respect in the locker room for doing it. Um, but it's just this, it, you know, matchups he can't win. You know, last night he takes on Jamal Murray, and Murray still gets thirty-one, but he has to take twenty-four shots to do it. And Eastman's really made him work for that. Um, and so it, Andrew nemhart takes on Michael Porter as opposed to getting the tougher matchup. Just everything works better, and they were able to hold a bunch of guys down. Obviously, Jokic still got, you know, Jokic, you know. Know, buckets because he's Nicole Jokic, but uh, they can do a lot better things defensively and then you're seeing the metrics go up, and so that's really been the thing, is that they don't even have to be good defensively, they just have to be average or even bad, just not atrocious, and if they can still play the kind of offense that they have, they can win, and I think Siakam puts them in a position to be able to do that, I mean, I think, again, individually, he's been pretty good, but more to the point, it's just all, everything falls into place around him pretty well, so if you imagine Halliburton coming back, then you, then you think, okay, once this is rolling the way that it's supposed to, uh, then they just have a lot greater capacity on both offense and defense.
0: Dustin DiPirac joining us here on the Fanny Files of Pacers for the Star. Another one for me, you know, you go back to that Phoenix game. Jairus Walker, I believe, was in before Obi Toppin. Walker doesn't play last night. Toppin gets the 17 minutes. Any thought there between those two guys? And then, you know, Ben Shepard comes in, and you see the energy he created there in the fourth quarter. Uh, If he earns more minutes, where do those minutes come from, do you think?
3: Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, like, like really, that's what Ricardo is digging into right now. I mean, he is. He is playing around with this. He is tinkering. That's the best way that you, you, you could look at you know, this the last you know, three games, you know, the last two in particular, that he is tinkering. He is finding out, okay, what combinations work here. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of mad scientist stuff going on right now, and he's, I think, reconsidering all of the notions that he had with his lineup prior to adding Siakam and sort of giving everybody the opportunity to, to play their way in. Um, and, you know, Walker, for instance, I mean, he, was, he played Walker at small forward. Um, and so that's, I think, an important deal in and of itself, that he feels like Walker can handle, pass, and shoot well enough to be a small forward and also defend that position, which means just keep smaller guys in front of him. Uh, The fact that that's something he sees him at for the future makes a difference. I mean, he really is looking at this and saying, yeah, he might not have played very much, and he might have got to spend a lot of time down in G League, but there was a purpose for that, and and he still views him as a long-term piece to this puzzle. Uh, You know, Shepard ultimately, you know, just, Play, just really playing hard down the stretch, we I mean, are really impressed with what he did. Uh, you know, you don't know at this point who it takes minutes away from. And obviously, there's been uh, reporting that Obi Top and Buddy Hield are on the trade block. And certainly, if one or, if one or both of those two, two guys go, certainly that opens up minutes for Walker uh, and um, and Shepard pretty immediately. But you know, you don't know, and, I, and I'm not sure that they're trying to throw those guys away either. I mean, you know, Toppin is shooting like 75% from like 75 percent from two point range. Buddy Hield is still one of the top 25 all time leading three point shooters. Uh, those are still Valuable pieces. So if they can't, they're not going to just let those guys walk for draft picks uh, with a group that they they intend to take to the playoffs. Um, so they're they're not going to give those guys up unless they're getting something back that is, can significantly help them right now. Um, so, but it's tough to say. But he's he's giving guys opportunities, giving guys opportunities the way they play play their way in, and also uh, letting it be situational and saying, all right, if, if you need sometimes maybe you need defense and energy to get back in you, maybe that's Ben Shepherd's day. Um, you know, maybe there's stuff you need from Walker. You know passing shooting, and also a, a, a little bit of a bigger body in there that you could throw in at three. Um, he's trying to figure all those things out, and he thinks just Siakam opens up a lot of opportunities and uh, creates a lot of just sort of new equations that he's got to consider and look at before he's sure who he wants to play. And so it's a lot of tinkering going on, um, not quite preseason level, but close, because I, I think he wants to make sure he's got his combinations right.
2: Again, it's going to be a tough one coming up here Thursday and Friday, Philly and Phoenix, and two weeks from tomorrow, the NBA trade deadline. So Dustin Apirak, a busy man this time of year. Dustin, I hope the West Coast treated you well, and I appreciate the time this morning, man.
1: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com, and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
3: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.
0: You know, those little teasers, those little uh, next day, hey, what's coming up? They're supposed to grab your attention. I think JMV's grabbed your attention there right before we I was came like, on. What did he just B- say? Both Bowen and Dykedon looked at each other. Wait, what did JMV just say? So should we change the name to KB and Sweebo? <laughs> like what is the Sweebo nickname? Well, I think Sweebo is both of us, Sweeney and Bowen. I guess. I think that's what he's I think that's what he's going for. Yeah, that'll confuse the hell out of listeners. Yeah, for a the while. There, I think, Sweebo. Yeah,
2: John wanted to pick the uh name of the show. He was very admirable about the morning
0: wood. He was very passionate, well, of course. He I was mean, passionate about the morning wood. By the way, did your, I think your earphone just fell off of your right ear. Oh, that Unfortunately, Look, that's not a yeah,
2: first-time thing. Yeah, he uh, he has headphone and microphone incidents the, quite regularly. Do you
0: want me to help you? Do you want
2: me to go get it? The headsets over here are... <laughs> here, let me help you. To say they got there issues, go. it's just the padding I can still hear out of the ear, but thank you for that effort there. Yeah, headsets are an issue here on this end. Uh, thank you to Dustin DiPiak from The Star Join us. A lot of Pacers conversation right now. Boy, I'd say just a lot of questions regarding this team here over the next couple of weeks, and the schedule is doing them zero favors. Joel Embiid. Have we seen an injury report yet? I assume he's going to play tomorrow night.
0: (laughs) I would assume They didn't play last night. They don't play tonight. I don't think you're going to get lucky on this one. They've got Jokic,
2: right, on Saturday? Yeah. Embiid versus Jokic. I know it's one that obviously a lot of people want to keep an eye on. And then Phoenix tomorrow night for the Pacers. Uh, no back to back for the Suns, so it is. quite I mean, We knew January would be a gauntlet. It's why you know we harped on November being the time to take advantage of that. The Pacers did not do it, I think, enough, and now, uh, right now, they are paying for it, and they are stuck in the middle of the Eastern Conference right now, the seventh spot. If you look at where they are at in the East, I mean, even after the road tri- after the homestand, the road trip's not much easier. You've got the Celtics, the Knicks, the Kings again. It's just like. Yeah, I mean, it lightens up a little after the All-Star break, but no, this is going to be a... Notable schedule, really, right up until the All-Star break.
0: Yeah, when Halliburton comes back, they're going to have to hit the ground running. And and I know that's something that is easy to say. It's difficult to do. Uh, you're trying to incorporate new guys, Siakam. And then, you know, we mentioned it coming up with uh, in a couple weeks here with the trade deadline. I mean, there is a chance you're subtracting somebody off this roster and you're adding somebody or somebody's to this roster as well. Then, then you mentioned, you know, Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard, where minutes going to be for those guys. Are there going to be minutes, that, you know, consistent? Maybe, maybe not minutes. And just, you know, for us analyzing this team, it's what we said in the 7 o'clock hour, KB. It's like, you know, last night, close game, you know, making it fun down the stretch, valiant effort, all of those things are true. But the other side of this is you go make the move for Siakam. And again, I I know Halliburton's out. But you're kind of tired of the Valiant effort thing. Uh, you need to win some games, and they've lost now five out of six. And just finding wins here with Philly coming into town, and beat is always great against you. I mean, heck, didn't uh, Maxi drop 50 earlier this season against you? So it gets no easier. Phoenix is playing some of the better basketball in the Western Conference. Uh, Valiant efforts are fine, but you know that's not going to help you not be the 7 or 8 seed Uh, In a couple months, it's just not.
2: Valiant efforts went out the window for me in November. They just did. I know. When you squander those opportunities, even life without Halliburton, you just can't get to the point where all of a sudden uh, we're clapping and standing up at the end of the game because the effort was great. And and I don't think we. I I
0: don't think we are. I I, I think think for the
2: most part, fans are pissed off because. You know, each season is a different sort of, uh, I guess, expectations or you know where you're at. There's been past years, Andy, where okay, that's fine. I mean, the entertaining loss phrase I thought was acceptable. Without you know some of those moments, you don't have the draft picks to trade for a Pascal Siakam or you know draft Benedict Matherin where you did. So, uh, but that right now uh, is not there. Uh, based off preseason expectations, obviously the post Siakam trade and the need to start getting some winning moments for a franchise that has not had really any in the postseason in quite some time. I did want to uh, shift gears a little bit to the NFL, and I know Dan Campbell uh, has been kind of the craze, if you will, of uh, the sideline demeanor, just the general look. Uh, obviously, his press conferences kind of speak for itself. I know a lot of the postgame locker room stuff has been you know, going around, and, and certainly he's a fan favorite to a lot of people, I would say, for those that are more of kind of old-school NFL He kind of checks that box for you. I think it's unfair to totally slot him into that box. I think you see the Lions, and you see a very aggressive mindset team, a very analytically driven team. Um, I mean, Campbell, I think, has made some very intelligent kind of in-game decisions. The whole Dan Skipper, you know, is the uh, tackle eligible we've seen. Uh, There is a new school approach to him as well. But I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks, Andy, on the what-if scenario with Dan Campbell. And if you go back to the 2018 season, or I guess the 2018 offseason, Dan Campbell was a coaching candidate of the Colts. And to go through that cycle again, basically the Colts interviewed, among others, Mike Vrabel, Josh McDaniels, Matt Rule, Matt Nagy, all in that 2018 cycle. They obviously settled on McDaniels. We know what happened there. McDaniels leaves you at the altar. So then the Colts reset. And Chris Ballard said at that press conference the morning after Josh McDaniels told the Colts no, we will have a new list of candidates. We will not double back on any of those previous candidates. I think Matt Rule might have been honestly the only one what, that they. What was
0: your What was your thinking then? Is that what you need to do? Given that you've already interviewed guys, did you want to see him? Hey, take a step back and let's just reevaluate uh, reevaluate everything. Given that you know the franchise had been kind of embarrassed with McDaniel. Sure. Yeah, a lot of egg on its face. Oh, sure. Um, I
2: I would have to look back on the dates. I assume Matt Nagy to Chicago had already happened, and I would assume Mike Vrabel to the Titans had already happened. I know the Titans waited. To fire, um, what was it, Mike Malarkey uh,
0: after yeah, their playoff win? Mike remember? Malarkey, yeah. They it's won a, a road
2: playoff game at Kansas City. They still fired him, but they settled on three guys after McDaniels. Frank Reich was an interview, Leslie Frazier was an interview, and Dan Campbell was an interview. And it is very interesting to me to look back on and think what would have changed with Dan Campbell here in Indianapolis as the hire, because in a way, and I feel this way about Mike Woodson in Bloomington. I feel the same way about Frank Reich here in Indy. I don't think if Frank Reich has the prior connections here in Indy, it's as much of a slam dunk. I don't think if Mike Woodson has the prior connections oh, in sure. Bloomington, yeah, he wouldn't it's be as much coach. of a you? slam no. dunk as it was at the time. Remember, you know, Reich's hire was heavily endorsed by a Bill Pullion, someone that Jim Irsay wanted to reach out to right after the Josh McDaniels fiasco happened. That was a very, obviously a chaotic moment for the franchise, and that that was a very, we have got to wipe our hands of this as quickly as possible, and we've got to settle on someone that our old guard likes. You're also vulnerable at that point
0: as a franchise. So you go a little sure. safer. To what and, you know. You go to what you know.
2: And McDaniels, you know, I, I think it's fair. Like, There's a bit of a jackass element to him. So I think in recovering from that, you don't want to hire a jackass. And I'm not saying Dan Campbell is that by any means, but he was the least known internally, organizationally, of the three. Again, Leslie Frazier was on Tony Dungy's staff at one point here in Indy. Obviously, Frank Reich was here much longer. So when you get the endorsement from Pullion, you get the endorsement from you know Peyton Manning even. That's why I think the quick move was there to Frank Reich. And to be fair to Frank, he was you know calling plays for a Super Bowl or the offense coordinator for a Super Bowl winning team at that very moment as well. Um, but I, I've just thought about what would life with Dan Campbell look like? <laughs> what would a lot different all of than Frank, that Frank Unfolded. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, is Andrew Luck 1,000% hanging it up? Eh, probably. But, you know, that is just a very curious moment to me of what would Ballard and Campbell have been versus what would Ballard and Reich have been there. So um, something I've thought about because it's obviously a vastly different personality, vastly different demeanor, than what you had with Frank Wright.
0: What was the conversation around Dan Campbell? Well, I think it was very minimal because, yeah. again, he was the least known.
2: And I think it was pretty quickly of you're moving to Reich. Um, you know, it was right after the Super Bowl happened. There obviously was a lot of momentum, I think, even nationally around Frank Wright getting an opportunity. Here's the guy that had worked with Philip Rivers, and boy, Carson Wentz was at an MVP level. And then, oh, my gosh, look what he did with Nick right. Foles. Like right. There was a lot of reason. For that, you know, it, it, I guess in a way it'd be the same thing of, um, you know, I'm trying to think who one of these, if Ben Johnson all of a sudden if the Lions get to the Super Bowl and, and kind of that build up to him. But, um, you know, when you think about the public accountability from afar, it strikes me as that is there with the Lions. It strikes me as Campbell having that. And I think Shane Sykin has brought that. I thought that was an element that was not um, as harped on, focused on as it should have been under Reich. And what, what would have been different? With Dan Campbell as the head coach, because again he was one of the three candidates that did interview a second time around, uh, and really at that point Andy, the Campbell resume had just been that you know. Oh, decent, just just Mi-
0: it's just Miami. He, he was just interim the interim of, in Miami with, with yeah. the Dolphins.
2: Outside of that, he hasn't been a coordinator and he hadn't been a play caller. So I think there was still some skepticism with him there. Outside of obviously that interim stint in Miami, which you know garnered uh, some some attention for him
0: well I mean first of all the the personality between Dan Campbell and Frank Reich boy are there any two <laughs> guys in the NFL who might be on the opposite ends no. of the spectrum than those two guys and, and that's That's why not, I bring and up that's the not a if, slight you know? at Frank no. that's not a slight at him he says he has his personality and his demeanor and the way that he handled everything and then you have Dan Campbell who doesn't handle things. You know what I what I what I find interesting about Campbell is you know the NFL for a number of years and, and I understand it and even more so now they have they very much catered to hey, who is the who is the coordinator more specifically Who is the offensive coordinator that is going to figure things out with our quarterback? And then you think, you know, you bring in the analytics side of it. It's almost as if at the head coaching position, do you not feel this way, that the NFL for a number of years went away from kind of the macho personality. Well, leader of men was the
2: phrase I feel like you heard a lot. So honestly, I think I was a bit of a Chuck Pagano hire. I mean, he guys want to run through a brick wall for him. Total agreement. Now right. it has changed to the sexy, young, offensive coordinator play caller because if you don't get quarterback right, you, you don't have a chance. Then, then you don't have and, a chance, and right. And I think it's a fascinating debate to get into because Shane Steichen, I thought the offensive presence, again, Steichen and Callahan, those are the two names that I kept on coming back to because that stability on that side of the ball is so critical you're talking brian callahan who just took the job
0: in tennessee who was the bengals oc right just for people to know yeah Yeah, brian Callahan. that
2: That was my thought process last january of stability on the offensive side of the ball for a young quarterback is going to be vital Uh, i think a lot of it depends on where you are state of a franchise though if you feel like you've got a little bit more of the quarterback figured out like Harbaugh's background, of course, is offensively, but if he takes the Chargers job, right. that's more of the leader, that's more of the CEO. Right. Yes, obviously, right. the OC hire is going to be critical, but Justin Herbert's pretty darn established right now. So I think it's interesting, and it comes in waves. Um, but it comes back to, if you look at the AFC, and now we're going to see a passing of the torch with it, with Belichick leaving, and you know we'll see how much longer for Mike Tomlin, but if you look at the three winningest coaches in the AFC over the last 20 years, there's no debate on who the three are. It's Belichick, it's Tomlin, and it's John Harbaugh. And I guess maybe more the last dozen years if you want to focus on that. And all three of them would fall into the CEO category. They don't have this rich, you know, Harbaugh and Tomlin did not have this rich background as a coordinator calling plays. Belichick had more of it than the other two. But those two were much more of the Dan Campbell molds of the position coach, strong teams, assistant head coach label on it. And that's the route to take. So it's just kind of interesting. And honestly, you see variety with it, Andy, of the final four teams, both matchups. Kyle Shanahan is the play caller and the offensive guru versus the leader of men, if you will, in Campbell. And Andy Reid is the offensive guy and the play caller against more of the leader of men with John Harbaugh there. So it's just an interesting dynamic when you look at the uh, NFL as a whole.
0: Yeah, you do. And you know, what I was saying was, like, those two guys with Campbell and Frank are just are just polar opposites. The thing that would have been interesting for me, you know, you went back to 2018, right? The thing that would have been interesting to me is how how would the Colts have been viewed? Uh, and the reason I say that, you know, the Lions hired Dan Campbell, in that first year, they went, what, three? I'm looking here, 3-13 in one? Is that what they did? They were, they were, we, were, we weren't 17 games there, so Wikipedia's got to be wrong there. I mean, they were a three-four-win football team in that year and then if you remember last year they're the 9 and 8 team they beat green bay they knock uh Aaron Rodgers all the way to the jets okay they they, they ruin Aaron Rodgers so much that he goes to the jets and the revision and now everyone loves Dan Campbell it's funny to me because the revision is history here and i feel like this would have been possibly this way with the Colts if the Colts would have hired him, like Leslie Frazier was a was was a hot name and Josh McDaniels was a hot name, and obviously Frank Reich, you went through the, the bona fides of what people liked with Frank Reich. I think the Colts, much like a little bit in Detroit, I think the Colts would have been laughed at. I think the Colts would have been laughed at. Yeah, that, that's I, what would, I
2: think. It wouldn't have been the extent of Matt Rule. I mean, to be fair, they were already laughed at a lot after the McDaniels situation happened. Um, I think the Matt Rule one. That was one was like, because that was Matt Rule, you know, early Baylor days or early-ish oh, sure. Baylor. That's days. when he was a he
0: was a program builder. It was like what in is 2018. going on? You know, a
2: lot of people are like what is going on here? And I think we saw Chris Boward in the last head coaching search, like that is a man of his word when he says we are going to cast a wide net. I mean, how many people they interviewed last cycle? Like 12, 13 candidates. You know, it was a huge, huge number. Number. So I just bring that up because I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, Campbell's to talk of the NFL right now, and I don't think a lot of people realize he was a candidate of the Colts back. In 2018, I I do think one thing they've done a nice job of, and credit their GM Brad Holmes for this as well, that's the pairing up there in Detroit with Holmes and Campbell, is they have looked at you know, Jared Goff and they have made sure to try and put some pretty elite weapons around him. Now they're young, but if you look at their leading rusher on Sunday, that was a rookie in Jameer Gibbs. You look at their leading receiver, that was a rookie in Sam Laporta, and if you look at Flip over to the other side of the ball. Their leading tackler was also a rookie. Right. You know, you talk about it, the biggest game of the season, and you get three rookies to deliver on that stage for you.
0: Um well, you toss in Aiden Hutchinson, you toss you toss in, you know, David Montgomery picking him up in free agency sure. as a solid player. St. Brown's good. I-, I just think, you know, for me, I-, I know for me, I just figured Campbell would be about a five hundred coach, right? And he would give us a great quote, and he would be funny, and he would be the guy that tells you how many, you know, shots of espresso he has in his coffee, and he'd talk about biting kneecaps, and he would have all these kind of code words and everything else, and it'd be ah like, oh, it's fun, it's the law. He can go win seven, eight, nine games in Detroit and maybe make Aaron Rodgers' life hell or Kirk Cousins or you know Mark Dykman in the Chicago Bears. And now he's more than just a hard no. And now he's more than just the I'm going to be the guy that goes for it on fourth down. He was seen. Until this year, maybe later parts of last year, it was seen as football meathead guy. Oh, they didn't go out and get the smart guy. They didn't go out and get the quarterback guy. And I think is even for, for me, I'm speaking from experience, when they went out and made the move for Jared Goff, I'm thinking, what's Dan Campbell going to do? And then Jared Goff's not going to have McVeigh there. Wasn't that the thought? I mean, didn't everyone think that? They, well, he's not going to have McVeigh there. Yeah, he's it's Jared Goff. He's well, going to become Jared Goff that we always thought he was going to be. Always,
2: you know, stopgap until they draft.
0: Until they get somebody. The young right. QB. I, I do think they're today, an interesting team, man. Today is a very
2: critical day in terms of what that NFC matchup looks like come Sunday. The Debo Samuel injury is huge. Um, I the, the, These numbers to me are rather astonishing. Debo Samuel back in October, Andy suffered a hairline fracture. Uh, in his shoulder, they lost that game nineteen seventeen. They then lost the next two games, scored 17 points in each of those games. So if you look at the game, he suffered the injury, and then the two very next weeks, 17 points for San Francisco in each of those games. With Debo Samuel this year, okay, when he has played on the field, these are their point totals. 30, 30, 30, 35, 42, 34, 27, 21, 42, 28. 46, 19, and 27. It's pretty good. Three games of 17 without yeah. him? Yeah, pretty good. Every other game's got more than that. I know. And a lot of it's them are injury. in the 30s and 40s. So this is such a monumental injury. The Kyle Shanahan update earlier in the week was there's no fracture, but there's a lot of pain. We'll get a better gauge on it Wednesday. So again, today we're at the first injury of the week. And it should be noted, while the Lions have gotten on obviously a little bit of a run here, they have really struggled defending the pass. If you look at it, all these quarterbacks, whether it's Baker, whether it was Stafford, even Nick Mullins late in the season, they're kind of torching the Lions. They're they're throwing for 330 and 340 there. Um, that has been, you know, obviously a big, big number. I'll say one thing to add on the Lions, and I know a lot of IU fans laughed at me when I suggested Antoine Randall L for the IU job back a few months ago. Uh, their coaching staff, I think, has gotten a lot of notoriety and well-deserved. Sure it has. Obviously, the Ben Johnson, Aaron Glenn coordinator situation. But if you look at it, whether it is Randall L., I think Mark Brunel is on their staff. I mean, they have some interesting coaches that Campbell has put under There's him. There's a lot
0: of former players. I mean, that's what he did. I want to give former players a chance to be a coach, and he did. And if you – I mean, look at
2: that whiteout group. That's yeah. a lot of guys, whether it's Josh Reynolds, the development of St. Brown. I mean, a lot of those guys under Randall L., especially has been great. So um, cannot wait for that one on Sunday. I, I think Chiefs Ravens, we don't maybe have as many kind of frontline injuries. Probably the big one there would be, do we see Mark Andrews? Um, he's been out for a while now. He has practiced the last couple of weeks. He is the most consistent target for Lamar Jackson that'll be one to watch.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. This will be for, you know, later in the week. Thursday, Friday, we can talk about do you, you know, do you feel Baltimore and Kansas City that that's going to be uh, you know, that that's going to be the Super Bowl winner? I will say as much as we have praised the Lions. Couple things, as much as we have praised the Lions, you know, if they go out, do you still and, hate them? And uh no, I just don't need to feel sorry for all their fans. I actually like Dan Campbell a good amount. I actually like that he's like the football macho guy in a in a sport where there's not as many of those. And a guy like Mike Tomlin, you know, they kind of want his job and stuff like that, so I'm all about it. And he gives a great, a great quote. I know John Harbaugh has some of that in him, but, I mean, he doesn't have the – he's much older now and calculated, whereas, you know, Campbell's still kind of a crazy guy. I did love – I looked up – I'm just looking at his Wikipedia. You know, the first sentence of Dan Campbell's The second sentence, it tells you that he has two children and a wife. Okay, Dan Campbell. The second thing, Mark, you'll love this. Just a bunch of like dog noises, yeah, it, right? Barks and everything. Campbell is a noted fan of Metallica. Okay. And oh. during his time at Texas A&M. Well, I think that checks out. He it was It does. He was nicknamed Dan Tallica by his roommate Shane Leckler. <laughs> the punter? Shane Leckler? <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. I was thinking, wait a minute. Dan Campbell, uh, the big macho tight end, I'm going to bite a kneecap. He was roomed with Shane Leckler, the punter? How did those two become friends? Dan um, Campbell in his playing days had the long hair, too, so he could probably pull off a pretty good James Hetfield impression. To say, I, I can
2: imagine maybe a couple drinks thrown back in oh, that dorm God. room. Can you imagine that? Just some Metallica. Uh,
0: just two quick other things in the NFL. So there's the Dan Campbell stuff. We'll see what happens in that game. Uh, Mike Florio, whether you like him or not, pro football fo- uh, profootballtalk.com and sucks. NBC. So you don't like Mike no. Florio. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Let me cross him he off is- the <laughs> guest list possibilities he, he real quick. Is- He has thrown it out there. Yes, I think he sucks probably led to that. Um, He has thrown out there the rumors in the league that Bill Belichick wants to go to a team that doesn't have a lot of media. Uh, And so just throw that out there. I don't know if Atlanta would fit that. I guess they do. I I, I don't get that at all. Atlanta Listen, would probably have the most media, right? Well, I think anywhere Belichick goes, right. the, you know if there's the normal media throng, if you will, in Indianapolis, so however they many... Does want a team to move to Billings, well, Montana? That, that's what I'm asking. You know, Belichick goes there, it's going to double, maybe, the number of uh, excitement of people that are going to be watching it. So that's a storyline that you'll see on the internet today. That's
2: how you get the reporters asking about the weather in Detroit to Todd Bowles. What <laughs> a stupid storyline.
0: Well, I, I would say this, the place that you would think about that would be Tennessee and that job obviously is gone. And the other one, just to throw it out there, uh, you know, we've talked to, you know, obviously we'll talk a lot of Colts here, I, you know, Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers that does affect the Colts. And it does because the Chargers with Brandon Staley or some of these other goofs that they've had as head coach, you haven't really had to worry about them too much. You add Herbert now with with Jim Harbaugh, you're going to have to worry about the Chargers. It may not be this coming season, but the year after, year two of Harbaugh, that team is going to be in the playoffs. So we talk about wild cards and expansion in the playoffs and the playoffs themselves and I mean, the AFC it, South and everything else. Like, this is an elite coach going to the AFC.
2: Well, again, more than if anything, happens, and I'll echo what I said last year, I think it's a golden era for the AFC. I think there's depth in this conference like you haven't seen. Sure. You know, there are years of Manning, Brady, Rivers, Roethlisberger where it was super top heavy. I don't recall depth. I mean, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, but we didn't have Burrow, Herbert, or Trevor Lawrence in the playoffs this year?
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, then, of course, yeah, I'm trying to think. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't make the Jets and there was that issue. But guys that play, no, that would be it. Yeah. And,
2: And I get if you want to throw Rodgers into that group, but. Just throw the three, I guess, younger guys. I'm trying to, you know, project forward for the next handful of years. You would think that those three franchises, yeah, there are questions that need to be answered, but they all feel very good about their quarterbacks. And then, you know, there are probably some other markets that look at Indy and say, guys, you know, Anthony Richardson was pretty good in a small sample size. They're going to be there. So, yeah, I, I just think it adds to uh, what the AFC is going to look like for for years I, to
0: come. I think you look at the AFC. And until the Jets do something, I always rule them out, okay? So I'll give you the Jets. I think the Patriots are going to be stinky next year. Um, And I would probably throw in, what, Tennessee and Vegas? Still, are we going to buy into Antonio Pierce making the playoffs? I I would take those four teams out. and You may say, "Hey, Andy, Aaron Rodgers, he's going to at least give the Jets one
2: Denver into that." Sure, Mm -hmm. you could throw
0: Denver, Sean Payton. You know they're paying him a lot of money, no quarterback. I think so. You have four teams ish that you don't believe in, but I don't know. I mean, the 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 other twelve teams, you could easily make a case for those teams winning ten games and making the postseason. Every single one of them.
2: Yeah. Again, I I just I look at the youth of the quarterbacks here in the AFC and if you look at um you know from a rookie quarterback standpoint of the four drafted high Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, you know you feel very good about CJ Stroud. I think you feel pretty good about Richardson, the one NFC guy is probably the one you have the most questions about. Hell, that Will Levis might have had more positive moments than Bryce Young did in his rookie. Oh,
0: I would campaign. say I would say he did. I mean, Bryce Young is being viewed as as ruined in one year. That they've had the, the I forget and I forget who Dan Morgan their new GM I was listening maybe it was Jeremy Fowler I can't remember who it was on ESPN they mentioned a name we haven't talked about to be the head coach in Carolina it, it was an offensive I can't I I shouldn't have even brought it up because I can't remember but it was an OC it was none of the names was it the Bucks that we've guy t- Dave that's who it was Canales. that's who it was that's who it was it was Tampa Bay's OC For He's what a good looking dude is he a good looking guy yeah I don't know if you look him up. Yeah. What's his name? I never seen him
2: on the TV. I was like, I hope he goes off the TV before Maddie sees him.
0: Dave Canales. Yeah, that's him. Let me look up his images here. D-d-d-d-d. Oh yeah, it's this guy. He is a great looking guy. He's got the perfect five o'clock shadow beard. He's got the he's got the fade. It's looking good. Can't really follow muscles. Else. No. Uh
2: five openings, right? Still left. Yep. So that would be Carolina. That would be Tennessee. That would be Atlanta.
0: I just don't understand that'd be the Chargers, Atlanta. and
2: that'd be the Seahawks. So if Belichick wants the smallest media contingent, I mean, wouldn't that be Carolina? I mean, it probably would be. But I, I don't just, we only
0: hear Belichick's name with Atlanta? He hasn't interviewed anywhere else, has Belichick. I don't think, you know, it's not long. Some of these teams, they don't want Belichick. We talked about this yesterday. Which would you I, I would you rather have like... the OC, a Shane Steichen type, or Belichick, who has went after Tom Brady not being able to figure out, not even the quarterback position, the entire offense?
2: I, I, which I don't think is a crazy thing in the world. I don't think Belichick is this foolproof answer that, boom, all of a sudden he magically appears and you're having parades. I, I don't view him in that light. There is a guy that wants a ton of control. You can make the argument. A bit stubborn, maybe, in some of his ways. And... Those New England years, the past few years, that was awful. And that, I don't think, is some slam dunk by any means. And then, yeah, I don't think you can totally ignore the age either on that end.